Uh, let's all clap at 45. Oops, I didn't clap. <laughs> we all clap at 52. Oh, careful. December 12th, 2016. I'm Ryan. I'm Yannick. And I'm Davis. And this is Pixels Weekly. Boy's house. <laughs> you living in a boy's house, baby. Oh boy, just three right, boys. It changes every week. Every week everybody <laughs> has to stay on their toes. You never know who's going to be on the show right now. That's right. Yeah, I know. We've got a. It's the holiday season, so I understand the rotating cast. Sandy. Um, if you're wondering where Sandy is, what is she in? Disney World or Land? World in Orlando. Okay. Orlando World. When did she get back? I do not know. She was really adamant. She was really adamant about sharing her Apple photo stream with me. She like sent me detailed instructions of how to set up Apple like photo (laughs) sharing and then sent me like four (laughs) invites for five different like photo streaming. I shut that down. I was like, why do I want to just look at you having fun? That sounds boring. <laughs> <laughs> that is so. I I think I probably share a similar sentiment, but not having been able to go to Disney World in Orlando, which, as I you know very clearly stated on the last show, is the most magical place on earth. I mm-hmm. do kind of want to live a little bit vicariously through her while she's there. Fair. That's fair. That's well, fair. well, I hope I, she's having a good time at least. Yeah, we hope Sandy's having Without a us. good time. I can't imagine Sandy not having a good time at Disney World because we are having a great time today, right now on the show. We got a great menu. Now that I think about it, she was talking about, uh, like, Nintendo doing theme park stuff last week. So she's had theme park on the brain since she's now, since she's been ready to get on this flight. I also just feel like it could be, like, five feet of snow in Orlando and, like, hell freezing over. And Sandy would still be like, Mickey Mouse! (laughs) 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 The only adult I know still enamored with Mickey Mouse. He's do you a classic. Guys, how do you feel about going to Disney World as an adult alone, like without kids? So I think as long as you're with a significant other, that's fine. Okay. If it's like friends, not so cool. I think you have to be there in like either a romantic sense or with a in like a parenting sense. If it's just like us three bros going to Disney World, I think that's probably not okay. <laughs> yeah, That'd be freaking weird. Like pre-gaming getting ripped up and showing up in the park. Hey, little well, kids. So it's interesting you say that because that being said, from what I understand, and I haven't been to Disney World uh, as a uh, legal 21-year-old, but I do believe that Disney World for adults is actually pretty sweet too. I, think I believe like a whole it. lot of like... And Epcot and all that, right? I'm sure yeah, they've Epcot. got the I've beer prices to match. After I've seen people after Destiny Con going there and getting hit haze. Yeah, I guess like think about the professionalism and the polish that Disney has provided to you as a child and imagine that being transplanted into like a bar environment. That's probably <laughs> pretty sweet. 
Yeah. If they can do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Chuck E. Cheese doesn't translate very well as an adult, except their pizza actually is really good. I really like <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese pizza. You're All right. down to the Sunnyvale Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> the Sunnyvale Chuck E. Cheese. All right, despite what you've heard so far, this is a video game podcast. We're Pixels Weekly, and uh, we come out every Monday to make you smile. I think this is, uh, w- what would this be, the penultimate episode or something of the year where we're going to do game of the year next week yeah uh, and have our discussions around that uh and we are talking about on the show today too many games are there too too many many games games? (laughs) there's just too many there's too many games coming out and we're all i'm feeling the anxiety and the pressure and all of that good stuff Uh, but we start off the show every week with what's in the news and what we're playing it's the hodgepodge what do you guys got I um I, I went through a roller coaster hearing about one game this week and there was a lot of news about this game all of a sudden and so Oh you played Planet Coaster. Some, yeah. <laughs> playing Planet Final Coaster Fantasy. actually. The Last I Guardian. Mean, I don't play that game. <laughs> Too I many play games. Planet Coaster actually. I really now I have a PC Planet Coaster might be my next next move. Uh I'm talking about Super Mario Run. So oh, we've seen Jimmy Fallon earlier in the week. Yeah, I'm. I'm, and I'm. I was one of those who were not about to download it. And then at the beginning of the week, um, after Jimmy Fallon presented it with the uh, when he also went hands on with the Nintendo Switch. Um, you mean when he spent I, ten straight minutes creaming his pants over the most yep. mundane stuff I've ever seen in my life? Yeah, he used one of. You oh mean you just watch Jimmy Fallon? Oh my god! Like, uh, <laughs> and so it's on, it's on a cell phone, and I can play on the cell phone. What? This is great. This is too much. This is too much. <laughs> that man has made an entire living about like over just getting excited about like shit that's not exciting. Yeah, <laughs> he is. Uh, and breaking of, the fourth wall and laughing during. And SNL I didn't skits. see it going. I didn't see it happen. It was like out of nowhere. I, I went on the internet the next day at work, get my daily news brief, and uh, yeah, here it was. And pretty exciting news came with it apparently it's not going to be just more than what we also thought that it would be on the show i remember us discussing about that uh, and and davis you said you know it would be one of those other like what is it runners how do they call them uh, endless runner endless runner mobile games and so they said they have different modes they have a story mode and they have some like platforming games included into it it's and they will and something even like a though kingdom they will, builder yeah, and it, the, the the goal will be to indeed make you play with only one thumb, but they will use a lot of um, of interaction with the thumb, like the double tap or uh, tapping in rhythm with the music of the level or uh, pressing long enough. And I don't know if they will even use the capability of force touch. I don't think so because the game is coming out of, on Android, but you know how like you press your thumb. It is coming out on Android. Inner strength. Yeah. Yes, in, yes. When was that announced? It, initially, it's just an iOS exclusive for X yeah. amount of time. They haven't announced mm-hmm. a release date on Android. I did not know that. That's a little bit more exciting to me as I'm planning on getting that Pixel. Yeah. And so that was that was good. That was good news. I could have sat on that, and and I was actually thinking about presenting that hodgepodge about the great like a great game that would come out. And the next day, literally the next day. Uh, Nintendo announced that um, one requirement about this game would be that if you want to play it, you would have to be consti- constantly connected online. Jeez. Jiggly. Wow. I can't believe that. they did this. I can't believe it. I mean, so, it's Nintendo. I can totally believe it. Nintendo giveth, <laughs> I can believe it. Nintendo taketh away, yeah. as all Nintendo fans know. But 
There doesn't seem to be. There is one mode where you are competing against like other people in terms of either score or their ghosts Mario Kart style will be present and stuff throughout the level. But like, other than that, what is the reason that this game needs to be connected to the internet? I I cannot possibly fathom or understand that. The other thing too is you know there's a lot of grief given towards games on consoles or PC that require a constant online connection, and there's a lot of people who I get upset about that. However, I don't really like see those as like the same worlds where with a console or a PC, like those things are in your home. Those should be connected to the internet. If you don't have internet in your home right now and you manage to own a gaming console, I don't know like what you're doing. But the thing about the phone not being able to like be unconnected is people are mobile with their phones. They're traveling in many, many places, specifically underground and a lot of commutes where you definitely do not have a, a, a tower connection. It's just crazy. It's also weird that like, this is something that Nintendo has decided to put in this mobile game, whereas the Switch is coming out in March. The Switch cannot rely on an internet connection. You can take it out of your home, right? Unless it also has a cellular connection built into the device, which I highly, highly doubt. The Switch isn't always going to be online. A 3DS does not have any games that constantly require an internet connection. What? I, I, I don't understand the decision other than, like... People suggest that Nintendo is just hypersensitive about uh, piracy on this. Um, I, one thing to nuance that, though, is weird. that maybe they were thinking... Um, one thing to nuance that, and maybe they will reach an audience that play Pokemon Go that was always online. That's uh, true. It that didn't seem like, to hurt Pokemon Go. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't seem to hurt, and it was the base of the game to be connected, have a GPS enabled, and uh, be connected to the, to the internet. Um, so that probably what they were saying internally. That being said, Pokemon Go was free. Let's remember that this game will come out at a cost of nine, $9.99. Not only that, uh, but those so are different for, games. Pokemon yeah, Go for, requires a constant connection because it's like yeah. a giant MMO social yeah. world where you need to be in the same universe and environment as everyone else who's playing the game. Not only that, but it's location-based, right? Like you have to have some sort of ability to get that right. This is a totally different game. Yeah. It's an endless runner. Like it's a glorified endless runner. And endless runners are made for sitting on the train and playing while you're like waiting to commute from point A to point B. And so much of that time is spent, especially in New York City, like even in San Francisco, where I think the BART has a pretty good constant connection. Like there are definitely times when you're going underneath the East Bay where, or excuse me, um, when you're going underneath the Bay where you do not have a connection, you don't have a reliable connection. And to be thinking that I'm going to be sitting there playing Super Mario Run and just like have to stop for 10 minutes or who knows what happens when you lose the connection, right? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to lose progression, right? It's going to be level-based. I heard there's going to be four worlds or five with four level each in the story mode. And then there's another mode. I'm, I'm sorry for the details here, but there's like a, it's still kind of blurry and, and probably will be unveiled. One thing, yeah, for people that listen to us and that take a daily commute on the subway every day, and it happens a lot in New York, you lose your connection. Uh, unless Certainly. you're crossing a bridge or something. And <laughs> Polygon had a great... I, I gathered some news, some resource on that. Um, Polygon was saying, it's like opening a Taco Bell that only shuts down when you're drunk. And it's exactly how it feels. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, that's that's exactly a perfect it analogy. <laughs> it's it's kind of cool. But yeah, it's 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 very bad. Because I'm personally, I was affected by it because I was uh, excited to maybe come back to the Nintendo, open a door to Nintendo and be like, come in, come into my, you know, let me give you some dimes and some, some money. And, and I will enjoy one of your games eventually. Because I do play a lot of mobile games. So. Specifically, one thousand on dimes. Yeah, one thousand dimes exactly. And I'm like, I'm excited. 
I'm excited about that, and then you you give me that. No, no, Mm-mm. I'm not gonna pay that much money for for a game that will not will not kind of like entertain me during my daily commute. So well, that, in a similar vein, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, I was gonna say. So that's interesting. So that requirement has pushed you out of the I'm buying this camp. Yeah, clearly, um, that's why I think I it'll do that to a lot of coaster. people. I was. Yeah, I was excited about the Jimmy Fallon announcement. I mean, the way they played, the way they were saying that it's more than what people expected, and the way they presented it at Apple at the Apple keynote was probably the wrong twist. It was just too simple, and uh, or maybe later they just managed to push some more plans and add more activities to the game. You know, when maybe some content was ready for some later updates. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I was fairly excited. Um, I need some new games on mobile. Uh, I'm only playing some platform ones, and and that was that that could have been cool. It looks pretty too, you know. It looks really nice. Um, bummer, bummer. Yeah. I mean, Maybe I don't know add that, that later on. I don't know that I was necessarily like super strongly in the camp of I was going to buy it, especially because until now I didn't know that it was going to come out on Android, so I wasn't going to pay like ten bucks while yeah. I still had an iPhone for the next however many months that I do. Mm. But. First and foremost, I'm not going to let Jimmy Fallon's like promotion of anything decide whether or not I purchase it. Oh my god! Why um, not? Oh my god! I'm freaking <laughs> out. Oh my god! How can you say it? Um, <laughs> but I think that this is definitely uh, a huge. I don't know. I'm not that. I, I don't know that I'm going to call it a deal breaker, but it's a huge knock against my influence of whether or not I'm going to buy it. But even beyond that, if we start looking forward towards the Switch, and you know, my buying the Switch is predicated upon what I feel is like a good environment for Nintendo. Like I'm not going to purchase a console from a business that I think is making bad decisions and that might not be around for that much longer, right? Like I'm not going to necessarily invest that time and that money into them when I have so many other ways to play games. And if these are the kind of decisions that are being made, then I think that reflects poorly upon decisions that they're making on other platforms and other products as well, namely the switch. Mm -hmm. And so like I'm just waiting for like the those sorts of bombshells to happen to the switch where they're announcing some crazy requirement or some crazy lack of of you know providing some sort of feature that's just like a no brainer to provide with that console so that's concerning to me I think we talked about at one point a few weeks ago how much the switch would cost how much if we revisit that now. In light of that, because I, I, I totally hear what you're saying, Davis. But I almost wonder if, like, this this is Nintendo kind of doing what Nintendo's always done. So it's not a flag to me of like, oh, Nintendo's making bad decisions. It's like Nintendo makes those. It it's like putting up with being uh, in the app, Apple ecosystem. The company makes yeah, decisions, and you're kind of at the mercy of what the company's decisions are. But everything that we've heard about the Switch so far has been like. Uh, a new sort of you know lack of those sorts of bad decisions at least like, like again we don't know a whole lot about it but i think the 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 problem is that i feel like the switch has set me up to feel really hopeful and positive about nintendo's decision making in the future and then you're right this is like typical nintendo but now it's going completely in the opposite direction of like how i felt about the switch when it was announced i think the switch for me has to it, it it's interesting. It's like I don't know what they could announce that would turn me off. And the same thing with Mario Run because I was just intensely interested to see what they did from a design perspective of Mario Run. 
If anything, I think, Yannick, you should get the demo and see what happens when you go underground Mm -hmm. in the subway. Maybe it's just you can't play the next level, or maybe it's you can't upload your high score or something. I don't know what the online connection requirement is. If it just stops the game and goes, sorry, connect to the internet, then I think that's a real problem. Yeah, because the main reason, and I probably should bring that up, um, the reason behind this officially is access to the user's play data and scores for automatically generated Toad Rally challenges. In-game events that will offer players a new challenges and rewards for a limited time. Linkage to Nintendo accounts to access safe data from multiple devices. For example, if players have Super Mario Run on their iPhone and iPad, they can share one save file across the different devices. They better however, be able to. Yeah, however, this save data um, cannot be used with different devices at the same time. But um, those are reasons. And then one of them that I read also when this info just came out was mainly to fight against piracy, just provide security. Well, and you just said it right now, different devices at the same time. They're trying yeah, to make sure that you don't have one family member playing on their iPad and yeah. another family member playing on their other iPad in yeah. the same account. Like that's exactly what it is. That's what's concerning. So that what is concerning is that the statement about piracy and a statement about playing on multiple devices at the same time that suggests that it will require you to have a connection just to play. It's not necessarily that you can't play the next level. Yeah. Well, there is, there is of course family sharing. So like stuff is built in. Like once I buy Mario Run, my entire family is going to have access to it. So that and that is five distinct accounts. So in a sense, and I I'm, I would imagine that mario run is the kind of game that's going to skew towards people that may have family sharing uh turned on especially if a parent is getting it for their kid so i wonder if uh you know they they kind of are just making sure that every individual copy they were going to legitimately sell that they could legitimately sell but it just it that sounds like a bullshit nonsense reason and it sounds lazy you know we've all built apps you know we worked at squarespace together we know what it's like to build an app where editing is happening it needs to publish to the internet it needs to update the internet constantly so what do you do when someone goes offline do you pull the data do you do you wait and collect a bunch of changes and then publish the changes in mass what if their desktop version has changed since the mobile version has changed i'm sure it gets messy i don't know the details of it especially yeah i recognize that it is a complicated thing to support offline but as far as games go people have been doing that for a very long time and i think it is a simpler solution than managing a cms like i think those are distinctly different offline problems sure i mean although it it sounds like i'm gleaning from what you just said yannick that nintendo is and this is this is something i think (laughs) every episode says this we could do a whole episode on it when people play video games now there's a ton of data being collected on that person's mm-hmm. behavior what mm-hmm. exactly they're doing what paths they're taking um what levels where they're engaging when they're not engaging i'm sure nintendo is going to track that stuff very very closely let's face it uh their what was the uh Miitopia? what was the me app that came out uh a while ago earlier this year it was very early in the year the Your one what, the one with the characters the yeah. one with the yeah, the it me, oh. like the Meverse or something. That's oh. that's on. Sandy Wii played U. a lot, right? Yeah, I play. I played it a bunch too. It's I couldn't remember it, but suffice it to say that app is a solely like market testing, <laughs> data gathering yeah. app of like, yeah. hey, what's your favorite color? Hey, how tall are you? Hey, would you say you're Hispanic? <laughs> and you're like, oh my god, leave me alone. Hey, do you like Coca Cola? Um, 
Yeah, so I think that I recognize that they are definitely collecting a lot of data more than just like your high score while you're playing. But to me, it you know, and, and maybe I'm being naive about the engineering that would need to go into this, but to me, it just seems pretty simple to pool that data on device and when when you gain internet connection, sync that up too. I totally agree with you. To totally the game agree was named you. The game was named Mitomo. <laughs> Mitomo, that's what it was. Mm. Um, all right. Uh, my hodgepodge this week is uh, I've been playing a lot of a very weird Destiny expansion. Um, you see, uh, in the Destiny expansion I'm playing, all of the other multiplayer Guardians have died, and I am uh, something that people refer to as the last Guardian. <laughs> oh, man. I wasn't <laughs> sure like where you were going with that. I wasn't sure that. where that was going. <laughs> That's bad. We also uh, all <laughs> read the document of this show, and I should have known what you were. And I was like, what are you? Yeah, I know. You could have just what literally. What am I not aware You've of? also kept this under wraps. I did not know you picked that game up. I did buy this game. I bought it uh, just kind of quietly. I just kind of was like, here's a he, here's a quick. Also, for our listeners who are not in tune, he purchased a game called The Last Guardian. It the has Last nothing Guardian to do with Destiny. Really yeah, it's not a <laughs> Destiny expansion. Um, the Last Guardian is a game that uh, I was excited about, and then it went off my radar as it went into a black hole. And every podcast and everything I ever listened to was like, that game's never coming out. That game's secretly been canceled. There were news reports coming out saying that the game has been canceled. That Sony pulled the team off of it. Yada yada yada. Then suddenly people were talking about it again. When do you think Sony's going to say anything, say that it's over, say that it's dead? And it took 10 years for The Last Guardian to come out. And I will say uh, first and foremost that in the past two weeks, I have played Final Fantasy XV and The Last Guardian, two games that uh, 20-year-old Ryan knew about and <laughs> And it's 30-year-old Ryan that has to report back on these things. Um, so I want to take a second and just say, everybody that worked on these games, uh, probably the team has changed multiple times throughout the years, you accomplish something extraordinary. I, I get frustrated with a development time that seems to last a year. I can't imagine what it's like to be trying to ship something for 10 years. Yeah. That sounds That's like gotta be the agonizing. Most, yeah, absolutely excruciating. Um, so, congratulations to you all. You all uh, deserve literally, uh, no matter what the Metacritic or, the, or, or anybody says, you deserve huge uh, rounds They're of applause. They're probably listening too. They're definitely listening. In fact, we know the whole team is listening. Why are we looking at your junk, Yannick? Sorry. <laughs> I was looking at my keyboard. <laughs> uh, Wait, can you look at it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> on that touching note um yes so i played the last guardian it's uh about i think i'm about halfway through it's amazing and it's a mess uh and and every second i'm fighting the character controls and i'm fighting the camera which is easily the spongiest worst camera to come out in a game since playstation 2 um, that's just absolutely baffling crazy crazy how um, i expect <laughs> shortcomings from a game that's taken that long to develop but i don't expect them to be in the areas of the raw basics of character movement and camera movement you know what i think is interesting is when i look at it especially in comparison to final fantasy 15 uh 
which uh, I'll, I can talk more about in a second, but the thing about The Last Guardian and Final Fantasy XV is Final Fantasy XV seems very changed by its 10 years. Like, since open-world RPGs have come out, since generation shifts have come out, since gameplay styles have changed and evolved, so did Final Fantasy XV. And you can tell that Final Fantasy XV is a collection of a bunch of old ideas that were still kind of core to the Final Fantasy experience, but also, like... The Witcher had a big impact on Final Fantasy fifteen. Yeah, I I think that that makes a whole lot of sense. And is what you're saying is that the Last Guardian does not seem to show that same evolution. Yes, the Last Guardian looks like these people were put into a bunker and <laughs> made a video game. It just came out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then at some point, someone said it's going to be on PlayStation three, not two. And they were like, okay, well, we can make it look better. And then at some point, people were like, you you, mi- you just missed it. So I guess it's on PlayStation <laughs> four now. There's <laughs> someone like, knocking ah. on that door of their office that is like. Probably, uh, I don't know, three feet like yeah. thick. And like, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> hey, so the PS4 just came out. <laughs> right. Just letting you know, guys, you do whatever you want with you that. Mean. Do whatever you want. And then it's like, team meetings, like, so apparently a new console. They're like, came how out? much RAM does it have? What? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Did he give I, you the specs? I totally agree with you. And and you know what? I, I think the technical challenges are literally because this seems to be a PlayStation 2 era game engine that it's built on. Let me tell you something. There are parts of this game that look really beautiful just because the game is so stellarly art directed and incredibly um, consistent within its own style. But the game frequently dips below 30 frames a second. I would say the game frequently dips below 20 frames a second. And the wow. game has once or twice dipped below 10 frames a second. Jeez. And, and when you have... Uh, it's mostly a puzzle game where you're trying to figure out how to do things. Now, I know some people are have said they're frustrated by the game. They are trying through gameplay to tell the story of the relationship between a person and an animal and how mm-hmm. those two things figure out how to work together to get through something. And that means that sometimes you ask your animal to do something and it doesn't do it. We've all had a pet yeah. before, and we know that that's how it works. Sometimes the dog doesn't fetch. Sometimes the cat doesn't stop or stay or shut up. And uh, this animal does all those things. But well, So, and also just to give a little bit of background here. So this is a game that I think has received a lot of hype over the 10 years that it's been in development, given that it's coming from the same studio that created games uh, Ico and Shadow of the Colossus, right? Yes. And so both of those games also a little bit abstract for their for their time period in terms of the game mechanics that they were trying to promote and the stories that they were trying to tell. Um, really, really stunning visuals, very abstract aesthetic. Yes. And so I think that, you know, given how much love people have for those games, uh, I think that, that people were expecting something similar with The Last Guardian. And so it is very similar to Final Fantasy XV, on top of the fact that it took 10 years to develop, it is going to be under heavy scrutiny given the games that the studio has released uh, uh, previously. I I think my, in short, I would say, Yannick, I think you would absolutely hate this game. Yeah, okay. Davis? I want to know why. Either I think you would hate it or you would love it. There is There is something there that is journey level like moving 
and emotional and impactful. But I played the journey too. You're gonna have to push through a mar of technical <laughs> things that I don't so, know so, if you'll be able to get. So past. that's something that I don't necessarily think I can deal with. From what I have read, and from what you are saying right now, it sounds like those mechanics are so busted. And honestly, like I think the what I have to sort of relate it to is in The Witcher Three. I will never forget being so frustrated with the picking up item controls and getting on your horse controls and how god-awful they were. <laughs> and I think when I think about the fact that I, you know, here and there continue to put time into The Witcher 3, but by no means was like, I'm ready to grind this thing to its finish, I think that a lot of that is the result of those broken like movement mechanics. When you botch the movement, the thing that I'm doing 100% of the time, you know, I'm not in conversation 100% of the time. I'm not in combat 100% of the time. I'm not playing Gwent 100% of the time. But when you botch the one thing that I am doing 100% of the time, Mm -hmm. that's really tough. And so I think you're right. I think, like, I do look for a great story, and I do look for emotional gameplay and something to sort of, like, pull me in, like, emotionally. And so it sounds like you're right. That might be an aspect of the game that I would love, but it sounds like those mechanics are so busted that I'm just not sure I want to go there. Yeah, that's totally the case. Um, I watch a YouTube uh, a YouTube creator on on uh, doing a let's play, and he doesn't do a lot of let's play. Uh, the last one that he did was uh, about Until Dawn, and uh, I so I'm I'm experiencing the game through him because I don't know if I wanted to put the money right now on it, so I'm spoiling the whole thing and. And yeah, there's some, there's some, some. He has to do a lot of editing to make the thing paste. Um, he has to do a lot of editing on, on for us to be entertained. There seems to be a, a, some problem with the, not problem. I guess it's part of the gameplay, but just the way you want to control the animal, uh, the whatever big cat it is, winged yeah. uh, big cat. But one thing that I found the, the most striking to me is that there was some platforming when you come up from a from a ceiling and you have to drop down, open a gate. And he just didn't bother and slammed his character on the floor. And I never see him die. I mean, I, I saw him die when he really falls off the cliff. But it, yeah. it seems really hard to die. I don't think you die from big drops. You don't it die from really, big drops in that game. You die yeah. from falling you off limp. cliffs. That's fine, right? You yeah. just limp and then that's it. And then even the, the, the enemies don't seem to be doing a lot of damage to, to, your, to your character. The enemies uh, don't damage you. They like it, it's it, it's hard. They they. Well, it's, sort it's of way more of a puzzle to... game than it is a combat game, from yeah. what I understand. Yeah. yeah. Plus, you can't fight I, the enemies. So the thing I'm curious about, I don't. I'm trying to remember when this was. This must have been a year or so ago when I watched gameplay footage, and it was just like watching really stunning visuals, and the movement of the beast was like pretty incredible. But then just listening to your main character, and he has this like one high pitched yell that he does to call him. And it was just like over and over and over and over and over again. And it was just like, oh, my God, I don't want to hear this little kid scream for like four hours while I'm playing the game. Yeah, there's that. That was um, either the person didn't know that there were more mechanics. But essentially, when you tap L1, let's get into a couple details here. You tap L1 (laughs) and it'll call the character. uh, The character, the animal's name is Trico, T-R-I-C-O. And so you you say something kind of like, you know, that sounds a little bit like that. Um, but you can also sort of tell it to, by holding down the call button, um, and pressing a command in junk in combination with the call button, you can tell it to sort of move in a direction, to jump, to 
sort of sit and stay. You can also pat it and um, frequently after combat, if it's been stressed out or shaken, you need to calm it down and things like mm-hmm. that. And you got to keep it fed throughout the game. And the uh, it is really, really, really doing a great job of that. And it, I do feel like I am managing a real living creature which is something that no game has ever like no no fallout or anything is like you have a dog too has ever made me feel like i have any connection yeah. to the creature other than it is a tool for me um and See, that sounds amazing that sounds yeah. like a game i want to play because i don't know again like you just said i don't know that i've played another game that has fostered that sort of relationship between characters especially like i think specifically with an animal is like a special sort of bond that your character can have yeah and it that that just it kills me i'm gonna have to watch more gameplay footage the animal and does like, not you know start out do? your friend you know, either. yeah and you know we should also <laughs> we should also do a little bit of share play so i can actually feel what the controls feel like cool yeah but totally. if it comes down to the controls being too busted for me Ah, it's, just, it's it's agonizing. I don't know anything about game development. I don't know what it takes to build proper movement mechanics and proper physics. But you would just think that at some point, a lead designer, a lead developer, game director, whatever, would sit there and just say, this isn't going to do it. This isn't going to cut it. And I recognize mm-hmm. that are ship times, but like you're telling me over a decade they couldn't figure out how to tighten up those movement mechanics? Well, I... Here's the thing. I think it controls very similarly to their last two games. And it may even be off of a heavily upgraded version of the same engine. So I don't know if there was anything they could have done to change it. And it may, some of it is seems to be intentional. Like the little awkward boy controls like a little awkward boy. He can't push anything in a straight line. He doesn't balance particularly well when you hold on to the creature you're flung about and when it's jumping around and it's it's all very awkward and the moments too when you're being chased like uh, the old resident evil games you feel because you're limited in what you can do uh you feel things that much more like mm-hmm. ooh, I'm really not sure if I made that jump. Will Trico catch me? Uh, ooh, I'm, I I really don't think I nailed this dodge. Is this bad guy gonna pick me up? Yes, he did. You know. Um, so anyway, it's one hell of an experience. Uh, if anything else, it is a fascinating uh, time to be a video gamer. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I spent way too much time on this hodgepodge. Sorry. No, I uh, I'm. Like I said, we didn't know that you'd pick that up, so I'm really excited to hear more details about it. Definitely a uh, very hyped of the many games that we're going to talk about in a bit. I got all. Um, So my hodgepodge um, revolves around a Washington Post like uh, like longer form article that came out this week, Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, the post is called um, "The Next Level." Video games are more addictive than ever. This is what happens when kids can't turn them off. And I think we've spoken briefly on this show in the past about the general stigmatization of video games and the um, the valid or invalid sort of like stigma of them being addictive and what happens when like teenagers and kids get addicted to them and, and their relationships with them. Um, you had that hodgepodge a while ago, Ryan, when you talked about the kids' feet who had rotten from playing oh, video games God. for so long. But anyways, um, in a more serious vein, this article uh, documents this kid, Burn, they call him. I think they, just, they say that they, they call all the family members by their middle name. And it's him and his parents documenting 
what they concluded was a addiction to video games in his early teenage years and sort of like how he has evolved from that, how it all started, what it was like during it and like where he is now. And I'm a little bit conflicted with regards to the article because I do think that addiction of any kind, especially with teenagers when they're in like critical developing years is an important thing to be aware of and everything that has any sort of positive feedback or stimulation can be addictive, right? There's behavioral addiction of all kinds. Mm -hmm. But this article is in that vein of someone who just doesn't understand video games and what it means to people and how important and positive they can be in your life. And it's written very much in that vein. It's written from the perspective of a parent who thinks their kid has an addiction to video games and just doesn't understand anything about that kid's relationship to those video games. So they start off the article with sort of like a a story about what it was like when he was there. And I'm going to read that real quick. They say it was nearing midnight when she slipped out of bed, padded across the wood floors and peered into the room across the hall. Her 15 year old son was still awake like she knew he would be sitting in his bed, staring at his laptop screen. This had long been the nightly ritual. After hours spent playing video games, riveted by a world of guns and gore, adrenaline pumping, he would unwind by watching videos of other gamers playing. Turn it off, she said. I need to finish, he said. No, she said. Their voices got louder. She doesn't remember exactly what made him reach for the glass on his bedside table. He threw it with such force that it spun across the room and shattered against his closet door, carving a two-inch gash in the white painted wood. Tiny shards glinted on the striped rug. So they're like trying to paint this picture of this like violent outburst from a child addicted to video games. Mm -hmm. And I figured like there's got to be like two sides to this article, right? Where they're going to explain that. You know, it's not always like this, and there are positive aspects to games. But no, the rest of the article is very much like he was addicted to video games, so he was violent, and he threw things at his mom. They also briefly mentioned that he had severe ADD and had other, like, social uh, anxiety issues, like, like regardless of his addiction to video games or his experience with video games. Yeah. And I, I don't know. Like, I, there, there's a couple of other things that... that Kane, you know, really, really highlighted to me that the the person who wrote this and the person who decided to put this story in the Washington Post isn't just quite experienced enough. But I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts in a more serious tone, based off of the previous experiences we've had talking about video game addiction. Like, I, I don't know. Do you think there are there is validity in in making it such a serious topic? Again, none of us having children and none of us necessarily understanding what it's like to be a parent in these situations. But all of us having definitely been very heavily invested in video games at one, if not all parts of our lives. Like, do, do you think there's validity in these sorts of articles or concerns? It sounds to me like uh, I'm going to be short and then let Ryan give his thought. But my first thought here, not, I haven't read the whole article. It's actually really interesting. It's pretty long. I'm going to probably dig into it and uh, and probably send it to my girlfriend too. But what, I, what I'm seeing here is another uh people kill uh, each other because of GTA 5 kind of article. Um, yes. it's, just, it's what I see here. Uh, if you guys have heard many times from politicians and people that don't really know that those video games are the one that push those kids to go and kill their, t- their classmates in universities and college, it sounds like this is kind of like the same degree of quote-unquote ignorance Um like I said, I haven't read the whole article, but from what you told me, if it if if it's not giving you both angles, uh, yeah, I'm not really appreciative of that. 
Um, I don't know what you think, Ryan. So, so real quick before before you comment, Ryan, just to sort of like feed the the fire here, highlights of of two of two two quotes here that indicate to me this person has no idea what they're talking about. Burns' games of choice were from the Call of Duty Modern Warfare series. Quote, first-person shooter games that are every bit as absorbing and nerve-wracking as a real military battle simulation or an action mm-hmm. movie, replete with stunning graphics, sound effects, and atmospheric theme music. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm playing Call of Duty, all I'm thinking about the fact is that, like, wow, this is a perfect simulation of what it's like to be a soldier in the military. <laughs> I'm ready to go. So, I'm ready to fight for my country after I play those games. And then, and then on a more modern topic of a game that we play ourselves very often they're talking about overwatch here which is his like game of choice these days and they say the screen was a blur of chaotic motion as his character stormed from one level to the next through bright streets and towering canyons and apocalyptic underworlds i don't know what game they're talking about there but i don't think of overwatch as this like deep dive into like a character's leveling experience from one world to the next it's a team-based pvp shooter yeah uh, I- you know, I, I didn't read the entirety of this article. Um, it read to me a lot like an article less, weirdly less about specifically demonizing a video game or video games and, and calling them out, but more this child's relationship with video games. Mm-hmm. And... I, I, if I'm going to be critical of myself for a second, I think I've had a lot of different relationships with video games throughout my life. The biggest fights that me and my brothers would have growing up was over video games. Who's letting who take a turn? Who's mm-hmm. stealing the controller from who? Who's getting mad at Mortal Kombat and ripping the cartridge out of the system, getting into a fist fight over it? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of... If, if my parents ever thought video games were not good, we gave them a lot of evidence to suggest that that yeah. that, that, that was true. Um, then, as an awkward teen, uh, and, you know, when you go through your years of pimples and stuff, it's nice to have a World of Warcraft fantasy world to dive yeah. into and not spend a lot of time talking to other people except for people that can't see your face, right? Yeah. Um, and so I'm sure I was antisocial with video games at one point um, and playing too much of them. And now and now we do this podcast. And this podcast, I think, in a lot of ways is a recreation of what it was like at the best points of video games, where we would go into school the next day and talk to our friends mm-hmm. about the games that we were playing. Absolutely. And I, and I hope it feels like that for you guys, and I hope it feels like that for the people that listen. Absolutely. I think that <laughs> I I don't want to dole out advice to anyone, but my relationship with video games now is I recognize what they are for me and I recognize what they do for me, which is they are a hobby. They are escapism. They can be healing. They can be entertaining. Um, and I, I try and budget and treat them as such of, uh, of entertainment. I go, well, I could go see a movie, but the movie's, $20 once without popcorn and a soda in the complete movie, <laughs> the complete DLC movie experience. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, you want to get the season pass <laughs> that includes the Juju Bees? Um, and, or the, the reserve seating? 
um, and the 3D glasses. And uh, so, yeah, so I buy games knowing what they're going to be and knowing the commitment, the time commitment, right? I'm super conscious mm-hmm. now of how much time a game's going to take. Um, and we're going to talk about that more in a second. But yeah, yeah I, I wonder like if toxic video game behavior and I've been there and it's scary. And yeah, I, I, wa- I wonder if like, you know, I think that maybe we grew up, you talk about fighting over controllers and whatnot, but that's because at that point in time, games had, like, I think there is a part of this article that is valid in the, in the sense that they're describing the immersiveness and the level of detail yeah. that is put into video games these days. And you're fighting over controllers because there, there was no, there weren't games at that point in time that could suck you in the same way that the games today can in, in their ability to create story, to create emotion, to create positive feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wonder if maybe, you know, a teenager in 2016 and their relationship with a video game that is much more advanced than the video games we were playing at that same age. I wonder if maybe there is something more there that is more serious and more concerning, but I think that if I were, and again, speaking very naively as someone who is very far away from having a a teenager child of his own, I think that I would advise, and my parents have been much more like this later in life. I think now that I have been able to be successful as an adult and and do all the things that, you know, sort of add up to an objective level of success, Mm -hmm. my parents are much more open to my relationship with video games, especially when I tell them about this podcast, they're really excited about it. They love that I built my PC and I'm so excited about it and that sort of stuff. And, and when I think back to my teenage years, they maybe weren't quite as like hot on me playing video games, but my advice to, to a parent would be rather than just seeing it as entertainment and seeing it as your child spending too much time with mindless entertainment, try to understand, A, the games that they're playing. You don't have to play them. You can read about them. There's plenty of information on the internet about these games that they're playing. Understand them. Understand what stories they're telling. Understand nuanced game mechanics that might be educational to to the child. I think like mm-hmm. silly things like the World of Warcraft auction house and like how that worked was like an interesting look oh, into yeah. like economics that I didn't even recognize when it is an interesting look into economics. So try to understand the games that they're playing, and I think once you do that, you might start to understand the psychology of why they play them. And I just don't find myself playing video games because like, well, shit, I don't have anything else to do. especially when I look back to my time as a teenager, the amount of time, the amount of excessive time that I I spent with video games were for reasons. And they were for psychological reasons where I was able to gain some sort of emotional connection to something where I was not able to gain that anywhere else. And I recognize that obviously like real in-person human emotional connections are also very important. And I think they're different emotional connections, but I think they're both very important and both very interesting and positive. So, you know, I, I think that there is probably a, a portion of this video game ad- addicted culture of teenagers that is concerning. And yes, there are many other aspects of your lives that you need to be paying attention to. But like, I think there's a level of understanding that needs to go into it before you just immediately react to it as a negative experience for your child. I uh, I can only back up what you're saying, Davis, by bringing up an example. I've had this relationship with video games and I was being an addicted player uh starting with world of warcraft um starting even with xbox live on some of those games that i really loved and i was bonding with friends online 
Uh, Rainbow Six Three was a big one, and and one of his expansions. And I'm trying to think if any other game were giving me the same uh, the same need, you know, the same uh, the same or or the same accomplishment once I I, I put down the controller. Um, one game that I that that I can't stop thinking about, and and one where my uh, relationship to games and my relationship with my parents kind of switched, and that was already when I was post teenage age. I know fifteen is really tough, and and it's and you go through phases in your life that you know everything seems fast paced. It's hard to connect with some people at school. It's your parents sort to see you kind of like diverging to you know kind of like lose control over you, and and once again it depends on every family. But uh, I remember when I was. Right before I left for college, so it was I was still stay, staying at my parents' house, and I started playing Forza Motorsport Three, and that was over the summer. And the summer is when I would like go out, but sometimes it would be also the time when I could play a lot of games without really worrying about my day too much. And mm-hmm. I started getting involved into Forza Motorsport Three. Uh, I remember having my parents carry me to someone that was selling a wheel, so I got the wheel and paddle and everything. And I started joining that forum and really getting into understanding how to build. You know how literally how a car works, and my dad is a f- now former driving teacher, um, and he completely uh, connected with me around that game. Once I started uh, entering a tournament, it was happening on a weekly basis. Once, like I think it was sometimes on weeknights, sometimes on uh, on um, on weekends, and he was always like at dinner time for us, eight p.m. or something. And so I asked him kindly. I was like, "Yo, can we just?" eat like if you're making food tonight can we eat a little bit earlier and it's like why and like we never do that i was like well you know so there is that tournament thing and then there is and surprisingly to me and i thank him for that he was really open to listen to that just because i started by saying that it's a it's you know it's a racing game and he started getting interested and i told him what car would drive and i told him what experience i would have what the rules were and he completely bonded over me i remember him asking me the next day or on the very evening i come i came down after my race i think i won the first race surprisingly but i practiced so hard for this thing um and i came down and i told him i won and then he was asking me the day after like when is the next tournament and then when is the next day and everything and that was the first time where for someone like him that never played games he doesn't even know what a controller is um he completely connected and he felt so warmful it felt so great yeah. to have to have him just connect that not knowing much but really trying to work with me on that thing um and i think it's important for like parents to detect whether or not the kid is in a good place when he gets into video games like yes. that if someone invests himself into a video game maybe it's just because it's kind of like their own like if they were an adult it would be a project of their own but because they're kids and you know that's the easiest thing they kind of like get good at um yeah. If Ask they get your in kids a good questions. place, no, try yeah. and figure out what the heck they're doing. If they're in a good yeah. place, if they're in a good place doing it and well, putting a lot of hours into it, I don't think there's anything wrong because most of the time well, some of those games also encourage communication. So it's yeah. not like you're playing alone like those previous old yeah. games. Uh you put way more emphasis into communication and the communities around it, especially when you're in Twitter and everything. Uh, so it's important just to, yeah, like all you guys said, we all come to the same conclusion. Communicate and get to see where they're coming from and where they want to go to. Yeah. The last thing I'll say, too, is on the flip side, if you're a teenager and you're listening right now and you have a strained relationship with your parents over video games, try to step back and recognize what those games are to you and figure out a way to formulate how to vocalize that. 
to your parents or to your friends or to whoever it is. Even if you're an yeah. adult, actually, if you have a strained relationship with your significant other or your friends or whatever, try to step back and, and, and do a little bit of introspection and understand, like, why do you love that game so much? And there's probably a valid reason. And if you can figure out a way to just explain that to someone, I think oftentimes that goes over really well. It helps. Yeah. yeah. Parents want to see. I mean, I'm sure a parent would be excited about a Call of Duty tournament, too. You know, it's just like if a parent likes to see in their kid you know, drive motivation in like a direction. Yeah. yeah. Well, th- we I thought this was once. awesome, Davis. Thank you so yeah. much for sharing this. Yeah, and we see that we see that perfectly. Uh, and to finish on that, when now kids get famous streaming out of nowhere and without and while just playing the game, and then their parents see them somehow, like they actually notice it once they start getting a little bit of money out of it. They're like, "Oh, that's cool." So you have friends online and everything. And I see many streamers of mine that are younger than me, and they actually connect with their parents on that and make them even play or participate into the stream sometimes, uh, especially on Destiny. One guy carried carried his parents to the lighthouse. <laughs> he was way <laughs> older, but it's just an example of like how, you know, like parents won't be going against something if, you, if they understand clearly what your motivations are. Um, now, one thing you can worry about with your children is them drowning. In a sea of video games coming up next, (laughs) we'll talk about too many video games. We'll take a break and be back. We're back, and today on the show, we are talking about too many games, too many games. (laughs) There are too many video games coming out, and let's talk about some numbers here to put it in context. Polygon had an article that came out at the 1st of December, so these numbers are going to go up, if you can believe it, that 38% of all the games on Steam, that is the PC uh, gaming distribution service, have come out in 2016. Now, let me put that into context. They break it down. In 2010, Steam had 276 games. In 2011, 283. Then the subsequent years up until... Came out in 283. It's not like only six games came out in 2011. Like, it's 2083 per per year. Uh, No, so in 2011, 283 total games were on Steam. And what was the year before? 2076. It may have been okay. that they launched at the end of 2000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, 2012, 379. 2013, 565. 2014, this is one where it starts really shooting up. 1,772. 2015, 2,964. And now, in 2016, 4,240 games on Steam. Which I don't know about you guys is definitely more game than I can play. <laughs> I mean, not only that, but you started off in two thousand what ten. You started off reading those stats in two thousand ten. Yeah. So that's six years of games. We play plenty of games that are over six years old. We play like that's not like of those games. games that came out in two thousand ten that are on that platform are ancient that no one's ever going to touch. We just talked about two games that have been a decade in development. So I was looking at these numbers and going, that seems kind of crazy but you know it's also pc games and they have steam green light and stuff and i don't know maybe there's things that affect that 
And then I started doing let's play you were the game of your console gamer. Maybe you do a video gaming podcast and you're three handsome gentlemen. And <laughs> and you're only going to play the big releases of the year starting mm-hmm. in November, okay? This year. The games that came out since November are the big games, Titanfall 2, Watch Dogs 2, Battlefield 1, Dishonored 2, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, The Last Guardian, Dead Rising 4, Pokemon Sun and Moon, and Final Fantasy 15. Now, I'm going to let you also know that if you total all of those up, according to HowLongToBeat.com, you've just signed up to play 129 hours of video games, and that is not doing any side missions or extra content. That is plowing or through the, the replayability story. of most of those being first-person shooters. That's, that's like just the campaigns right. of those. And and I think I actually have played most of these games this season, with the exception of Dishonored, Watchdogs, and well, I guess I didn't play mm-hmm. Call of Duty and Dead Rising yet either. But I want to play Dead Rising, and I'm sitting here going, "Why do I feel drowned?" Well, it's 129 hours, and I just keep seeming to add hours. Now, if you just dial that back to October, add in Gears of War 4, Dragon Quest Builders, and Mafia 3, you're at 186 hours. And Mm -hmm. all coming in spring of next year, Resident Evil 7, Halo Wars 2, Horizon Zero Dawn, Ghost Recon Wildlands, Gravity Rush 2, and For Honor. All big titles from big companies. And those are just the big titles. Those are just the big ones. This isn't counting anything. Exactly, and and there is definitely no credibility that like there are a lot of indie games that are shorter, but there are also a lot of indie games that are much much longer games too. Like just because it's indie doesn't mean it's just this like tiny two hour experience like inside. There are some very long indie games. And for the first time, I think in my life, I also am trying to manage this load against things like Overwatch, which is just a persistent nagging. Hey, come play me, and and you know. Uh, Yannick, I know you do this with Destiny. Like, how do you play these games and play Destiny? Like, how do we play all these games? So I just want to start off the conversation with, is this even a problem? (laughs) Am I crazy? So, all right. So as a... um it's 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 what I would call like a first world gamer problem, right? Like, okay. oh no, there's like too much great stuff for me to play, and that's frustrating for sure because I do get stressed out about like, well, I do want to play all of these things that everybody's talking about, but I just don't have the time to do it. But I also very much so want to just play Overwatch nonstop. Like, there are just like some games out there that come along where you do want to play these other big games coming out, but these are the games that are just holding on to you forever and ever and ever, and you can't seem to get away from them. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I think who should be concerned about this a little bit might be the developers. When I think about all those names you just mentioned, I have not purchased or played very many of them. And a lot of that comes from that overwhelming feeling of, Oh God, I don't want to spend 60 bucks and realize I just don't have the time to play this game. Yeah. Or just like, I also just have anxiety about like not finishing these games because again, I don't have the, I, I might have the time to start them and put a few hours in, but to like finish these, you know, 20, 25, 40 hour games is a big investment of my time. And as a result, I'm not buying them. I mm-hmm. definitely do think I will buy Final Fantasy and I just plan on doing that soon. But I mean, Hey, at this moment in time, I still have not given that studio money. 
And well, so and I want to do a whole episode about this, but I stopped playing Final Fantasy with news of they are changing the last chapter of the yeah. game to yeah, fix it. Geez. Wow. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Don't, that's crazy. I'm not going to play your game until you say it's done. Yeah. So I think assuming that other gamers share that same anxiety that I do, the reality of it is, is like we're not buying games. It's like it's so yes. much. And again, I don't necessarily know. I think like our topic here is that there are too many games, like individual games. But I almost wonder if there's an additional problem, which is these games are just so long these days. And yes, you want to create this like immersive experience that takes a long time to get through. And therefore, like when you finish it, you feel cathartic and you feel like you've been through this huge journey. But at the same time, like I hear so much great news about Metal Gear Solid Five that came out so long ago. And I still want to play that game so much. And every time yeah. I go to howlongtobeat.com and it says it's going to take 145 hours to beat, I'm just like, uh, <laughs> nope. <laughs> no. Yeah. No kidding. And you know what? We, uh, I agree with you. There is a, the issue of like, okay, look, not everybody does a, a podcast. Not everybody's super hardcore. Not everybody's going to play all these games. In fact, many of these games are not designed for the same person. But I would say like even this year we saw Titanfall 2, quote unquote, underperform. Uh, according mm-hmm. to, and, yeah. and that's all speculation. We don't know what EA's exact projections were and what you know what money the thing actually has made yet. But when you have like Call of Duty, Titanfall, Battlefield, all coming out like within two weeks of each other, this this seems like something's wrong. Like it seemed like at the beginning, especially of the Xbox One, PS4 generation, we were sitting around going, "Where are the games?" And now I don't know if like it actually took this long for people to like maybe video games take longer to make now maybe they're all three years on average instead of two years in which case they would have started around when this generation started and finally only ship now but a lot of these things are sequels and they've you know come out two years after it it just seems like if you bought all those games that i just listed it's 720 dollars. if you buy them with season passes it's over a thousand dollars probably over 1100 in some cases and I don't who has a thousand dollars to drop in that's three months of yeah. video games. That's or actually 186 two hours to spend minimum on them. Yes. I, <laughs> well, I think there's a simple there's a simple argument for all those guys that make games. The more you have, the more you're going to sell. Um, I, I agree with you that not one person will be able to purchase all those games. But the more you offer, the more the more purchase you're going to you're going to you're going to create and at the end of the day that's what they're looking for now if i have to give my opinion from my perspective it's just a matter of being in peace with it i feel the same anxiety that you do probably davis you feel the same it's like you know you kind of want to do that and i i come in peace more and more on uh especially when i have games that i enjoy playing right now destiny or now overwatch a lot you come in peace and you're like i'm gonna pick it up later and eventually it's even gonna be on sale uh i did that with the last of us and i've started doing that even more mm-hmm. when I, since I started this podcast with you guys, because uh, you you tell me about other games, we hear about other games. I stay updated, so I know I you know I know I don't forget. I know what games are good or bad. We talk about it, and I think that's what our listeners who keep listening to us, because you know we give pretty good reviews. Um, <laughs> it's it's just a matter the show of, inside of the show. <laughs> yeah, from from our perspective, it's just a matter of being in peace with it and being like, all right, I, you know, this is in my bucket list. I will eventually do it. Um, the problem we have is that we're heavily passionate. Same thing happens with movies, except I'm less passionate about going to the movies. There's so many movies that I miss that I've never seen, but I'm, 
I kind of don't care if someone asks me, like, you didn't see this one? Um, no. Oh, my God. I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm not dying inside. It's cool. Um, for games, it's a little bit different. From the developer's perspective, um, I do worry a lot. Like you said, you mentioned a great example, Titanfall 2. Um, but there are some games where you can clearly ask yourself the question, what if this game came out in the summer? Or what if this game came out in, in a more quiet uh, period, like, I don't know, April or May? Um, what what would have happened to that game? Would it would it have a, like a different impact? Would have people really look what happened to Overwatch? It came out at a perfect time, in my opinion. I, if it happened to come out at the same time in Battlefield, or um, or or Titanfall and all that. Yeah, that's a really uh, good point. They came out. I don't know. The I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what would have happened to it. I'm sure they would have been able to pick it up later, but it certainly wouldn't have had this. This hype and all those tournaments and everything happening. Um, I it's think a little Overwatch bit probably would have that, had it <laughs> regardless. Yeah. I think they would have. I think it would have taken a longer time, though. I do think Overwatch benefited from it being oh, a yeah. pretty quiet landscape that they launched into. Totally. And I'm thinking about one game in particular. I haven't played it, but for the, for the people that played it, I think most of the people missed out on it, and it's now free. I'm talking about Battleborn. Um, <laughs> Is it free? I think they, they they're, are, they're out trying to find free. some way to get that game into people's hands. By the way, going back for a second, is passionated like carbonated? <laughs> it's, like, it's like a fizzy. <laughs> I wasn't going to say passionate. Passionate. Pa- passionate. Yeah, I, yes. I always say passionated. It's my, it's my, I think Davis noticed that two weeks ago and said, I said the same thing. I like passionate. Battleborn like became free. I'm looking, up, <laughs> I'm looking at Polygon report here. Battleborn became free on September 29th. I mean, it's reporting to be soon free to play. Um, it suffers the 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 comparison with um, with so many other MOBAs. With uh, of course with uh, Overwatch, uh, Paladins also came out. I'm so Paladin is also uh, struggling a little bit because of all that that crowded um, stage. I mean, of, we just uh, have so shooters. many games. We have so many games right now, especially in this three month span. That yep. I agree would have benefited from coming out in the summer because we had a couple months this year where it was like nothing really big is happening, which is great space for like indies and stuff to come in and have time to shine and all of that stuff. But like I said, if with a thousand bucks, you know, and I, I phrase this kind of in our uh, our show document as mm-hmm. like, has the pie gotten bigger, or are we just cutting the pieces thinner? You know, because there is, I I don't know about you guys, but there is a legitimate reality where there wasn't three shooters this year where maybe I would have tried Call of Duty. Yeah. And there is a, and Dead Rising 4 is a sequel to a game that I loved, and that was the third one in a line of games that I love, and yet here I am having spent so much money on games this season going... And 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 like sitting here on Final Fantasy fifteen, like waiting to play it for them to finish it, mm-hmm. and Pokemon a thirty hour commitment, and going, oh, Dead Rising, I don't know if you're gonna make it. Yeah. And well, if Dead I, Rising I, had been, you know, two months earlier, it was in. There was no yeah. question I would have gotten it. Well, I think. I do think the pie has gotten bigger if you just look at the gaming industry in general. Like, there's just a lot more money flowing through it than there was 10 years ago. Technology has advanced. Studios have become flush with cash. 
and development teams have have grown. And so I think their ability to produce output has definitely outpaced the interest in in games. At the same time, I also think there's a part of this that is influenced by the fact that games are now live and living and digitally shipped, which, you know, we can talk for days about the the problem of games shipping in an unfinished state. But I wonder if the increase in game launch is I can now ship a game that is 85% complete, 80% complete. Yeah. And not only can I ship a game that's 80 or 85% complete, I can get away with never finishing it. I can get my sales through the way that marketing happens. We've talked forever about this, but I can spend 80% of the time. already know what the pre-order numbers are. Exactly. I can spend 80% of the time developing that game and then move on to the next one. And then spend 70% of the time on that game, move on to the next one. And I think that development studios are starting to push that limit of like, how little of a game can we can we actually like complete before we ship it and move on to the next one? Right, I you're think seeing like, this like Battlefront, Star Wars Battlefront last year, no campaign. The original Titanfall, no campaign. Now yeah. the sequel all of a sudden is like, yeah, we're going to have a campaign. That That's a complete game. Yes, and they never went back to the first one they and added the back. campaign. Right. It's not like they're shipping these unfinished games and finishing them they'll release patches to patch like you know actual problematic bugs with the gameplay but i just don't see a lot of games that are that are releasing uh you know finishing content content that's filling in the holes that the game shipped with most dlc is added on to what's already there with the exception of like maybe no man's sky like maybe it takes such a reaction that no man's sky got and we will definitely not talk more about no man's sky but like maybe Uh it takes a reaction that they got to to start patching in holes that were in the gameplay um, can you imagine if not, no man's sky be... patch sorry to talk about no man's sky but imagine if no man's sky patch had come out you know this summer or whatever and yeah. people were like okay well i will give it a chance because nothing else is coming out now like you did oh, by the way those four thousand games that are on steam right now those numbers don't count dlc so i think you say this all the time ryan but like vote with your dollars and if if our problem is that we think there are too many games and not all of them are reaching the same quality that we want i think maybe that's another part of the discussion is like there's a lot of games are they all good enough but you know don't buy the unfinished games or like wait to hear from the professionals who get these games for free and get to review them without paying for them wait for them to tell you whether or not they're complete (laughs) and Mm -hmm. i think that generally you can rely on those people's opinions and if all of a sudden the entire game industry stops buying unfinished games, I guarantee you the developers start producing finished games. It's going to take longer to produce. They're going to ship fewer games, and we're not going to have this sea of games that we're swimming in of questionable quality. Yes, I and uh, I think we should... I would love to have a longer conversation one day with you guys about software as a service, which is the lives that we've lived in for such a long time, and how the development of software as a service companies in the tech industry and where the money has gone has directly influenced how video games seem to be made, produced, and shipped. Um, but I want to say two things, which is, number one, Final Fantasy fifteen. I recognize it's in murky water because it was a, quote, complete game, and instead they're just improving the thing that, like, all reviewers said they had a problem with, which is super weird <laughs> to me, of like, okay, the reviews are out, our game got a 7, we're going to patch it into an 8 what do you how do you even do you re-review it at that point if you're a reviewer or like that's very weird but the next thing i was gonna say is you talked about nintendo's decision making a little bit earlier davis and 
it it might be the old fashioned mentality of we don't have a guaranteed internet connected console and this thing ships on a disc and this has a Nintendo seal of qual- quality on it. But Nintendo does not ship a broken game and then patch it. They ship a complete game and then will offer more through DLC. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, Titanfall would be the only one this winter who really would fall under that. If there it was a mandatory requirement, Titanfall would have probably one of the big names to really come out because they shipped that game. They are not planning to have any additional like DLC packs or uh, in-game currency, in-game transactions kind of thing for mm-hmm. more items or skins. All the skins of the game are currently in-game. All the weapons are in there. All the maps are in there. Uh, and it's brilliant. And uh, yeah, they they took they took a different approach that I'm sh- I I would have hoped was more um, rewarded than this, uh, considering the sales are really apparently not reaching the goals. And um, it's really the only one. The rest of it. And I was about to think about Dishonored too. But if you think about Dishonored too, the way it launched on PC uh, would apparently like a drop in terms of frame, like some bugs in terms of performances. I can't remember exactly. I know that. Um, consoles were safe on that side, but uh, PC had a few issues on on launch day, and uh, that's a bummer. Maybe you were somebody who was just picking up normal video games, but I'd be, I would, I would be not doing my duty if I didn't happen to mention the following dates: March twenty eighth, April fifth, August second, September fifteenth, October thirteenth, and November tenth. Can anyone tell me what those dates are? Wow. Um. Say all right. Hold on. <laughs> March 28th, April 5th, August 2nd, September 15th, October 13th, November 10th. Those major game uh, launches or major uh, like launch events, conference, uh, conventions and stuff? Close. That is launches of major hardware this year in the video oh, game gotcha. space too. March 28th, wow. Oculus Rift. April 5th, HTC Vive. August 2nd, Xbox One S. September 15th, PlayStation 4 Slim. October 13th, PlayStation VR. November 10th, PlayStation 4 Pro. We have had a litany of hardware come out this year. So not only this year have they been asking in just the past three months for over $1,000 in video games from you, but they're also asking for high-ticket items. In the case of a, a Vive, you're spending $800 literally yeah. to get this thing. In a PlayStation 4 Pro, probably $400, and maybe you get some. Exactly right. So if you, were, if you wanted to stay on the cutting edge of the consoles that are out there these days and buy all the AAA games that land, you, I mean, you're... You're bankrupting yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Thousands and thousands of dollars. And I just think that, like, Ryan, who is at the peak of video game time spent playing video games, which was maybe you know, teenage years. He did not have a job that could afford this. <laughs> I don't know about no. you guys. Um, so well, I think, I think the, the tough thing too, you know, us specifically in our generation is we are coming from an era of video games where there were not even remotely as many big AAA games that launched. And when they launched, you had to play them. You did not want to be that one kid that didn't play GoldenEye. You didn't want to be that one kid yeah. that like that like didn't play that huge game that came out, the first Gears of War. You weren't going to be that kid that didn't pick up Gears of War. And it seemed the like there were years past where you were like, "Oh my god, there's going to be two the you know, like the news yeah. would be like the big game this Christmas is this." Yeah. What does the news say now? And and so <laughs> if we're coming from that culture where we just already have this like pre 
predisposed condition of big game comes out, we have to play it because everyone else is going to play it. Yeah. Like that's really tough to like psychologically accept the fact that like you're not going to be able to do that and like also buy food for dinner. Right. Yeah, it's it's just all been so crazy for me. And I I, I have, you know, we've talked to, we've had a whole show before on gaming guilt and the guilt of the backlog and uh, you know, you talked about Metal Gear 5 and and that's one I played I didn't finish and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to finish this, but just stuff happened and the games don't wait for your life. The games just keep on coming." So, you know, it just becomes a lot and I would say this year too much. Um, before too much and too much VR as well. God damn it, that VR really yeah. fucked us up this year. That's it was right. disappointing too. <laughs> but I mean, it, you're right. In terms of hardware, uh, it was also a big change. I almost forgot about that. I feel like this is one of the reasons why they're like, "Oh, we have this hardware. Okay, let's make that let's let's make that a requirement for our game designers to ship a game around that time." Uh, and I'll know. tell you this too. There's uh, yeah, because we didn't mention any VR games. Uh, uh, coming into this uh resident evil 7 in january is coming out and that once i play resident evil 7 i will definitively be able to say whether or not i regret buying playstation vr right i think it would be an interesting exercise and i just don't think any of us are disciplined enough to do it but i think if you were to go throughout all of 2017 and like pick either maybe not metacritic but maybe pick a, a trustworthy review source and just say, I'm not going to touch a game unless it's a 9.0 or above. And only purchase those games and only play those games. Mm-hmm. I you know, I, w- I would love to look at the statistics of 2016 and see like how many 9.0s Polygon gave. But if you stuck with that discipline and we came back a year from now, like, w- would you be saying the same thing? Is the game landscape at the 9.0 or above the same level of like, excess saturation? Or is it a more reasonable landscape where you feel like you do have enough time to to put into those games? And maybe that gets back to my point earlier. Maybe it's just that there's more shit games coming out. <laughs> yeah. I We'll close out on two things. I'll read you this list. To, we'll talk about your point for a second. And then we'll talk about our, our backlogs this year. I was always the guy of like, if it's below a seven, I I, I won't spend that much time with it or I'll wait for it to go on sale or I'll I'll wait to hear somebody say something that or, or you know for it to be endorsed in a way that I really believe in but here's Polygon's reviews for I'm just looking at their first page of lists Last Guardian 7 5 Dead Rising 8 Final Fantasy 15 9 Watch Dogs 2 8 Dishonored 2 8 5 Call of Duty 8 5 Titanfall 2, 7, Orwell, which we didn't even talk about, 9, World of Final Fantasy 7, Battlefield. I can't find anything that is substantially low with the exception of Shadow Warrior 2 was a 5. Mafia 3, they gave a 6, 2. Paper Mario Color Splash, 6, 5. And another but that's f- why I think I, I think that the reviews, it's I think crazy. you have to be ex- incredibly selective with them. That's why I like. I do think you're right. I think the standard is to give out the eights and to give out the seven fives to any game, regardless of its quality. And I do think that like if you were to limit it, I think that nine, literally the number nine, is like this like barrier of entry to quality. It's so crazy. It is. It and and you know IGN's numbers are extremely similar, and it, I just can't help but wonder of like we either need to drastically change how we review these games because the floor has just dropped out yeah. or something. Well, it, it's just the, the incentives and the motives are totally backwards. Yes. Yeah. 
And then reviews are also challenged for multiple reasons of like, do you, like we talked about earlier, do you re-review right, so, games? Do you re-review games after all the DLC is out? Like, yeah. did a six turn itself into an eight? Did a eight turn itself into a six? You know? So I, I do not see myself sticking to this, but I'm going to give this a go. Like, with, <laughs> with the exception of our homework, you know, when I think about the games that I would like to pick up that are out right now, the only one on there from Polygon, and I think Polygon would be my most trusted review source, the only one on there that's a nine right now that I'm going to touch is going to be Final Fantasy. That's and, fair. And, like, we'll see starting in Q1 2017, can I hold on to this, and what is my experience with that? I'm going to try to stick to that. I know so, my, wallet <laughs> will be, my wallet will be a lot happier. So, fun, fun game to play. Can you guess the three other games that also meet your requirement on the Polygon recent reviews list? Without including Orwell? Or Okay, I already said, well, so Orwell is one, so there's Orwell, two more. Legion, Overwatch. Uh, I don't see Legion in the list, so Legion probably got it. Legion got a 9.5, if I remember correctly. Uh, the other ones, they say... All right, so, so Battlefield in, 1. Got Battlefield a 1 got a 9. Yep. Okay, yeah. And FIFA or, 17. <laughs> hey, <laughs> the masterpiece. <laughs> EA dropping the dimes. <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't 60, listen to that. That's not true. I don't want to believe that they will put money on that to give a 9. Although, I mean, uh, the, yeah, FIFA 17. All those like sports games, they're probably, it's probably, that. what they want to say is that it's the best of the sports game that came out this year, blah, blah, blah. So, like, New Year's resolutions genre. aside, uh, in 2016, you didn't play, but really wish you did. What games? Or game? Uh, Dishonored 2, because I just talked about it with one of my friends before tuning into this show. Uh, mm-hmm. Captain, if you're probably not listening to this, um, he he plays Overwatch with me, and he, he's a huge fan of Dishonored 1, probably finished it. A dozen, a dozen time, and he's about to finish Dishonored two for the fourth time, and and uh, yeah, I, it's it's even more so because it's made by a French studio. So I kind of want to see what they what those Frenchies are about, what my what my nations is about. So yeah, Dishonored two, my number one in the list as the, at the moment right now. Battlefield one, Titanfall two, mm. those are easy ones. Yeah, uh, Uncharted. But so the, so there's a couple here that would require me to go. Here's another problem. There's a couple that required me to go back to the prequels. And like really start like yeah, early on. That's so tough. Uncharted Four, uh, Witcher Three: Blood and Wine, both games that required me to go back and like finish the original Witcher content, um, or play now Uncharted Two, Three, uh, before I start Four. Um, indie games like Inside, I still have not done Inside. I need to play that game. Oh, um, Fire Watch for me if I have to talk about indies. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I think that there, I mean, I haven't started Final Fantasy yet. That's been out for a couple of weeks. Yeah, there's a, well, and, and that's only games released backlog, right? There's also a backlog of games that I purchased that were released in previous years. Oh, yeah. That are just like, and, and it's so tough for me because I'm such a completionist and I'm such a perfectionist and I want to have that like completely maxed out, you know, track record on my on my PlayStation account or my Steam account or whatever. But um, there's plenty of games. I started the Batman series this year. Um, I still haven't finished The Last of Us. Like, there's just there's too much of a backlog of really great titles. Um, and if you just start with 2016, you're already well over the amount of time that I would have to play video games. And then if you add on all the other ones, it's, it's totally. too much. It's crazy. Playing video games is almost like project management once again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, highlights for me that I missed this year. Uh, XCOM 2, 
Uh, I tried the original XCOM, really liked it, said I wanted to spend more time with it. Stardew Valley, I only played it for like two hours, and I built a whole PC to play that stupid game. <laughs> well, you're still using a new PC uh, yeah, in, a, in can, a very good way. Well, so. it's actually coming to consoles, which is where I would actually end up spending the most time on it. Uh, Salt and Sanctuary was is like a 2D-ish Dark Souls Severed uh, by Drinkbox Studios. I love them so much in Guacamelee. Um, and that's now out on phones and everything, and I totally could have played it, but I waited for it on Vita and then did not end up playing it. Uh, Abzu. Gosh, Abzu. Yeah, Abzu's on there. Mm-hmm. Civ 6. I know you played Civ 6. Civ 6 is up there for me. Yeah, Civ 6 is really good. Um, and just, I think, it was Just Cause, may have been last year, Just Cause 3. Mm-hmm. Um, no, this is this year. Just Cause, early this year. Okay, Just Cause, yeah, I missed that, and I really would have liked to have played it as well as... Uh, it's fun. Uh, I, I haven't mean, played I haven't, Dead Rising seen 4 yet, many but footage. hopefully I will uh, alleviate yep. that before year's end. So, ah, video games. We just gotta yeah, we just gotta stop recording and, and, and keep on playing. So no kidding. Why are we wasting playing. our time? We're we're dedicating our video gaming hours to talk about video games instead of playing them. <laughs> we're so stupid. The things we do for our listeners. <laughs> right. The things we do. The things we do. You owe us. Seriously. <laughs> uh what? What am I saying? <laughs> press, right. press the donate button. Yes, <laughs> press the donate button that doesn't exist. You can listen to every single episode of Pixels Weekly at pixelsweekly.com. And you can also find things like the blog. We're posting that. I've been posting less frequently over uh, the Thanksgiving and Christmassy time. But I'm still putting stuff up there. Sandy will be back next week when we're going to be talking about game of the year. We'll figure out what ridiculous format we'll do that in. And because we all know game of the year lists are in general pretty silly because video games are very different. And um, yeah, I think that does it. Looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. Don't forget to find us on Twitter at PixelsCast. And if you uh, enjoy what you hear, feel free to tell a friend, leave us a review on iTunes, share the podcast. We appreciate it. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Davis. Thank you, Davis. I'll follow the Twitter. (laughs) He wasn't following us on Twitter yet. And thank you. You were not. Okay. So one thing before we end the show. Yeah. This guy that you got you hearing, Ryan Quintal, who I'm a co-host of one of his shows, right, called Pixels Weekly. He he not to mention a coworker for several years and just all around good friend. And he just started following me on Twitter this week. I didn't know. What a surprise. I, in, in full confession. It's one I of didn't those know I wasn't following you, you on Twitter. It's one of those people that you don't even try to find on the list because you know they're there. And right. no. I just saw it pop up on my notification feed. Ryan Quintal started following you. I was like, huh. I think that's what okay. happened. You mentioned me. I like clicked on your name and there was a follow button. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I can click that? Yeah. So sorry about that. It's um, cool. No hard feeling. Just no Christmas gift for you. But <laughs> cool. There. All right, let's go play competitive. <laughs> Until we'll next time. Au revoir. See you later. And we'll see you next week, boys. House. Well, sometimes that just makes you come undone, and you need your boys around you if you're gonna make the best for everyone. You might think that you don't need them, but you find. Same old house in the